With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One. Fragments of Silicon. A podcast as well-seasoned as they come. Welcome to the first, um, well, Alpha episode or Wednesday show. The first main episode of the new season. Like, you know, it, it gets a bit muddy to track because, um, technically speaking, our season began with our Sunday reviews. But, you know, the, uh, this is the first episode of the Wednesday program. So, um,. No matter what show it is, it is season eight. Um, we've been off for a few weeks. Uh, hopefully everybody's got their battery recharged because, you know, we're back to the, you know, the regular rounds. I'm your host, Adam, and joining me as always are, well, the regular crew of Ogre. I'm always on low power. Um, Petty Fan. Factory format required. Uh, Galix? Uh, yes, I, I, I'm here. Any rumors to the otherwise are false. And Twilight. Yo. I didn't... Alright, so... I suppose we should get to the news. Although, how much of that, um... You know, we want to disseminate, I, I, I suppose it's up to, you know, if anything happened during the break. So... Uh, let's see. Ogre, why don't you start us off? Mm, let's see here. During the break, we went out and managed to order our tuxedos for Naka and Barry's eventual wedding. Gonna get those in eh, late August or so. so which is gonna be a big, busy-ass week already. <laughs> How big a wedding are they going to have? It's going to be a small thing. Just some friends and family, so... I remember the pandemonium at my older brother's um, Australian wedding. That was um, done to the nines, let's just say. Uh, Many months of planning had to go into that. Uh, Let's see. I picked up a couple games during the break. Mm -hmm. Uh... Story of Seasons, Trio of Towns, which I haven't really gotten to play yet. I've been kind of busy elsewhere. Uh, and Ukulele, because it was on sale, and I thought, I need to get this game at some point. And then I got that game. And that's how that accusation, accusation happened. 
And then, let's see. Playthroughs are going fine. Do we start doing Blaster Master Zero? Which finally got that one out of the way. I've been constantly bugging Naka about that at some point to do the original, and I guess this one just worked out better for everything. Well, it, it's a, a pretty close remake from what I've seen. Not a one-to-one, -one, but it's very close enough where, yeah. he had, where it would be rather redundant for him to do the original. And they, added, and they added, like, story and stuff. Yeah. And like, then, uh, Final Fantasy XIV wise, the new raid tier came out a little while ago. And we started raiding in that thing, and we managed to beat the first, the first leg of it on the first night, actually. We were all kind of shocked at that. We've been kind of ramming against the second park a little, little much more than we care for, but... We got it down to 15% and actually got to see it's in rage, so we know we can do it. We just got to get better about it. <laughs> just got to get more better equipment and, and work out our strategies better. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Other than that, not much. I'm still the culinarian around the house. Made some Swedish meatballs the other day. Were damn good. Damn good Swedish meatballs. But I can <laughs> I did that all from scratch too, so somehow I'm becoming somewhat of a cook. But other than that, not much else, so I'm gonna pass it I'm gonna pass it over to Petty because it's his turn to phase and the boss is gonna do some unstable gravity. Uh um let's see. As far as news goes, my mom's going to be getting um, her settlement from when she had her, her shoulder surgery because she got hurt at work. So she meets with the lawyers next month, and they said they're going to try and, you know, pay me back something as well. That so, would be good. Yeah. Um, also, my keyboard's been having some issues. We don't know if it's just because it's been so hot or what. But I may need to be putting some of that money they give me into buying a new keyboard. Damn thing tried to break on you partway through a raid. <laughs> no, it was actually just before we started, at least. Oh, yeah, there we go. So, yeah, that, that was fun. Um... Other than that, just kind of been playing games. Like, I wish I could have streamed more during um, the off-season, but whenever I wanted to stream, either something came up or Twitch was down. So, yeah. Sorry about that for those of you who enjoyed that, but thumbs the brakes. All two of them are disappointed. <laughs> Outside of that, I don't think there's much going on in my life. So I guess right, um, Yeah. Alex? Um, I've had a reasonably eventful a few weeks, although a lot of it was work-based. The uh, 
Yarmouth Clam Festival was this past weekend, so I managed to see some of my friends from college, although unfortunately they weren't all able to be there at the same time this year because, you know, you get busier as life goes on. Um, I finally got a chance to play Splatoon 2 uh, yesterday. I got to level 4 in the multiplayer so that I could buy new weapons and clothes. And uh, then I did the first world in multi in a single player, and I plan to continue working on that possibly later tonight. I missed one of the like secret scrolls. Splatoon one, or did they change it for two? Uh, it works pretty similar, and I missed the uh, opening rush of Salmon Run, which for some reason is not always available. So I haven't been able to try that. Um, it seems weird that that's not always available. Seeing as one of the big features they were toting. I know. Hopefully, it'll be more often than not, but it has. It isn't right now, I don't think, or it wasn't when I was playing anyway. Um, also, just the other day, after seeing someone else do a demo of how it works, I actually uh, downloaded Duolingo on my phone to practice my Japanese because I have not been practicing my Japanese enough for actual conversational purposes. So. Uh, I think I'm still mostly below my level, but there are... I took the placement test to jump ahead, but uh, it didn't jump me ahead far enough. But there are some things at this level that I don't know, so maybe it did. I don't know. Um, uh, I haven't started playing the game for this week, but I did have fun with the games that we reviewed this past Sunday. Um, especially... Uh, not Black the Fall. <laughs> Hollow, Knight. Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight, yes. I hope to be able to play that more sometime. But, uh... I might yeah. spoiler alert. Um, the, well, um, the direct comparison game we got this week is not nearly as good as, well, either game we reviewed. Yeah, I was going to say, Toby looks sort of like that, but, uh... I, like, Let me put it this way. It's not one I've heard of. I'm like... I'll save the full review, but um, I, I just stopped playing it because I got bored with the game. Like, uh, it, it's not, like, like it's average at best. Um, actually kind of sloppy and um, cheap design in some places, but more on that on Sunday. Like, Well, we'll see. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's anyway, been yeah, my it's experience. Not, it's... <clears throat> so. Anyway. Yeah, it's not um, like I thought. Excuse me. Um, you, you okay over there, Galax? It's probably got a yeah, kernel stuck in his throat. I had a weird burp thing. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah, it's not like I thought Black the Fall was bad. It's just not the kind of game I like as much as. Well, it's like I'm having a hell of a time trying to figure out cycling. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I don't think I have that much else to say, so uh, I guess we can go on to Twilight. Alright. Okay. Well, it's been miserably hot over here. So, thankfully, we finally got some rain done during the past few days. Um, and then, um, during a break this, uh, last Saturday, I went and seen Spider Man uh, Homecoming. How was that? It was good. It's the best one out of movies so far, in my opinion. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah, probably do the writing mostly. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, and uh, also been uh, 
playing some multiplayer games with uh, some friends of mine. Um, Saints Row 4 and uh, Borderlands 2. In terms of single player games, I've just been playing uh, Atelier Sophie. Uh, I've heard so good things about that series. Although Atelier. not much about any specific, yeah, the Atelier series. Although I haven't heard much about any specific entries, except when Mac was talking about Eska and Loki. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good series. I started off with uh, Iris and um, played a few from there. I really enjoyed the series thus far. <laughs> um, besides that, nothing really all that profound's happened during the break. So that'll be it for me. All right, I guess it's my turn. I'm like, well, I'm like, my time during the break was actually um, a fair amount was sp uh, spent uh, helping out Sister Show MSP since we had a couple of shows to fill between, well, uh, Fragments of Silicon seasons. I, yeah, um, I've had breakier breaks, and I'm sure you have too. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's like, tech, like um, this show was on break, but... MSP due to um, I think a few delayed weeks there was uh, you know got desynced with um, this show so we were actually on we were actually doing stuff on Wednesdays during the break you know um, just everything else we usually do do the uh, for this show um, got put on the back burner for a while you now but and as it stands. MSP is now on break for at least two, maybe three weeks. Uh, like, maybe longer. Uh, like, well, the long and short of it is Mac might be getting another job here soon. And we have no idea how that's going to affect the uh, upcoming season of MSP. Um, but it's one of those situations where um, we have to keep uh, going along um, as normal until it happens. You know, speaking of which, he also wants to move, move the show down to, um, what was it, 10 o'clock? Like, um, that's... Yeah, we'll, we'll see how this works, because making this show much earlier doesn't work very well for me. I don't know about you guys. Well, it's like, um, well, furthermore, moving the sh like, this show is, um, currently booked till the, uh, end of August, I think uh, as far as Wednesday shows go, like, um, yeah, looking at the calendar, uh, only one, like, there's only one Wednesday show um, in September I have to fill. That's at the end. So, a time, like, any sort of time shift involves me um, rescheduling a lot of stuff. Like, and, like I said, it's all kind of up in the air right now. Um, nothing's been decided. Like, um, just um, forcing down MSP to the 10 o'clock hour is, is problematic for its own reasons, because I don't know if, if anyone else has noticed, but um, this show goes for about anywhere for an hour, 15 minutes to an hour and a half. It's we certainly don't stick tightly to a one-hour schedule. I'm like, if we were going to stick, uh, if we were going to uh, stick to that, um, we'd have to do it more like the Tuesday show. Like, you know, we get in, we do the interview, we get out. Yeah. Um, or if we don't have an interview schedule, we do the topic. You know, 
it's like time would be much tighter. This this new segment would probably be axed. Um, it's definitely the most superfluous thing we've got going, um, considering we repeat a lot of the same information on MSP. But given that they're different shows, you know, different audiences and all that, I'm just saying, you know, this would be this segment would be the first to go. And you know, then uh, the topic of discussion. Um, but we'll see what happens on that front. Um, as it stands right now, you know, um, regular broadcasting is um, proceeding. And on that note, um, it's about time we move to the interview portion of the broadcast. And joining us this week um, is actually the very first guest we ever had on this program. Um, way back in uh, October of 2013, um, it is our grand pleasure to welcome back to the program Michael Hartman of Frog Dice. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Uh, no problem, no problem. Yeah, it's like uh, it's amazing how much things can change in three years. Absolutely. Uh, I'm like, uh, I'm like, I'm mulling whether or not to go into your background because you know we, we've covered it on the program before, but that was such a long time ago. I don't think our present audience might know those details. Uh, okay. So, um. And uh, we'd like to get started, like, I suppose our first question is, what got you interested in video games in the first place? Well, it was definitely, you know, starting playing games on the PC and then later on consoles. Um, you know, my parents were always very supportive of video games as a hobby. Um, I think I had an, an Intellivision when I was in, like, first grade. So I... Uh, you know, video games have always been a part of my life. Um, so it's not a huge surprise that I would maybe get into to making them. Um, for the mm -hmm. longest time, I just made them kind of as a mess around, you know, hobby as like a middle schooler, teenager, never really thought it would be a job. And even my first game uh, that I was making, basically mud-like games on BBSs uh, when I was in college, that was a hobby. And even Threshold, our longest-running game at Frog Dice, that was started as a hobby. And it was basically just out of, you know, I played games like that, and I was like, you know, I wonder what would happen if somebody made one of these games with kind of a more professional outlook. Like, instead of it just being like a computer science project, what if someone approached it, you know, like a, a very professional pros you know, project with, with really good writing and stuff like that? Like, what would that be like? And that's kind of how Threshold happened. Hmm. And how long did Threshold exist as, you know, a purely amateur work? Probably um, about two years. I mean, it basically launched in 1996, and I was still in law school at the time. And it probably wasn't until 1998 that I really thought that this was going to be a serious, you know, like full-time full -time job. So for about two years, it was truly a hobby and then but i kind of was already thinking like maybe you know what could it be but uh by 1998 was when it was definitely um a serious true business hmm. 
And um, what, what did the threshold look like in the late 90s? Um, it honestly, it looked it looked the same that it looks now. I mean, it's a it's a you know text-based game, so so it looks the same. Um, and in a lot of uh -oh, ways, oh, they changed the font. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so very, looked very much the same, just, you know, um, not as many systems, not as much content, all that kind of stuff. And were you the only one to be working on the game? Um, yes, the for, for a really long time, probably until at least 2001. So for the first like five years of the game, um, I was the only one. And then, uh, I met my wife through the game and she be and then she learned to code and she became a developer um and so then we kind of just grew from there and then for a while it was just her and i running the running the company and making the game and then in 2015 we really started expanding growing and hiring more people and stuff like that hmm. well not 2000 2014 not 2015 and was that um, for Threshold, or was that for other? No, problems? that was that was to start. That's when we started making other games like uh, mm -hmm. uh, Coin and Carry, and then Tower of Elements, and Dungeon of Elements, and Rainmaker, and, and all those uh, you know our kind of puzzle RPGs that we have on Steam. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I remember. I think when we interviewed you back in 2013, you were making um, Tower of Elements. That that's. Could be, yeah. I'm not sure what we were. I'm not sure. I don't even remember which one we. I think we were maybe doing a Kickstarter for Dungeon Developments at the time. I think that's. I think that's what we were doing. Yeah, I mean, it it, it was a while ago, so I, right. it's. I do remember elements. Um, yep. In the title, so it was definitely one of the two. I'm like, but you know, I'm focusing on Threshold here because, um, as I understand it, uh, it's kind of the precursor to what you're working on right now. Absolutely, yep. Like, and uh, that is the game Stash. Right. Right. Um, so for the uninitiated, what is Stash? Stash is um, an MMO with turn-based combat, a huge mm -hmm. focus on housing, and more loot than you can fit in a portable hull. So that's kind of how we describe it. So it's um, very tabletop style, you know, like you, you move like a kind of a miniature representation of yourself around the world map and into dungeons and combat is turn-based with a grid, you know, like tabletop kind of pen and paper style combat a little bit. Um, and then your, your house, or it's called your boo, your base of operations is almost half your character in and of itself. The so many different ways that you develop and expand and upgrade your house. Um, makes your house almost as, as almost as important as your character. Okay, um, so there's quite a bit to unpack here. I suppose the first question is, why turn-based combat? Well, we really like the more, cere more cerebral nature of it. Um, there's more strategy, more, more thinking involved. Um, some, some people call Stash like the thinking man's MMO. Um, and that's definitely true. So there's more, a lot more thought and planning and strategy involved. It also is uh, very um, latency resistant. So if people have issues with internet, it's it's far more tolerant of stuff like that. It's not 
Um, you know, your ping doesn't really matter, which is kind of nice. Um, and also, it's just it's different. You know, there's there's a zillion third-person over-the-shoulder camera perspective MMOs with you know white damage and special damage and stuff like that. So we wanted to do something different, and and it, we also kind of wanted to harken back to some RPGs that we loved, like the Gold Box D and D games, you know, Baldur's Gate, Planescape, um, those kind of games where you really planned out each round of combat and what you were going to do. Right. And so how does um, turn-based combat work in the confines of an MMO? Well, first of all, the it's only turn-based in combat. So when you're, like, running around the world doing stuff, you know, that's mm -hmm. all that's all real-time, of course. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, um, so it's not like when you just want to move around the world, you're not, you're not turn-based at that point. Um, but in combat, you know, you, you, you enter an encounter and there's a, you know, grid. It could be 10 by 10. It could be 15 by 15. It could be L-shaped. It could be, you know, all kinds of different shapes for the little grid, depending on what kind of dungeon you're in or something like that. And then, you know, enemies can be at various locations. They could have you surrounded. They could be in formation. There's all kinds of different ways the combat can start. And then, you know, each player in the party, you, you know, you take, you, everybody rolls for initiative, you know, just like D&D &D or something. And, you know, people take their turn. By default, you have 30 seconds to take your turn. But the leader of your party can change that time to less or more. So if you want a really fast-paced you might set that to five or 10 seconds. Um, so yeah. And so then you, but it also opens up for a lot of cool stuff like, uh, like flanking and, you know, surrounding your enemy and pinning your enemy against an obstacle and a lot more positional type strategy that, that works really well on a grid that doesn't really work as well in, in a real time, you know, third person where, lag can make someone look like they're in a certain spot when they really aren't um you know a lot of different strategies that you that you can use on a grid that really don't work in a uh, like real-time third-person perspective so and um, uh, how many people can be in a party we ha right now it's six so you can have six people in your party um so, but then there could be, you know, 10, 15, 20 enemies sometimes in, in a really big battle. So you can have pretty good-sized battles, uh, even though it's uh, turn-based. And um, I saw another question there is, um, given a, a battle of that size, uh, you can set the time parameters for your party. Can you set the time parameters for the enemy attacks as well? You don't really need to because they're pretty. They're, they move pretty quickly. You know what I mean? Like they they move almost instantly. Um, you know, their AI is processed very quickly. So usually, so whenever it's strictly it's the, PVE. Right now, yeah, we will have PvP. Um, it's planned for, and we definitely will do that. We're probably going to focus on party versus party rather than you know trying to balance every class against every class for PvP. Um, oh yeah. So, but yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, it's just, I have played strategy games where the enemy has a lot of troops and they don't take, uh, you know, they're not instantaneous. And yeah, they move pretty quickly. Um, it's, you're really never waiting on the enemies to move. I mean, it's, when it's their turn, they basically move almost immediately, um, figure out what they're going to do. Because it's not like a chessboard where they have to, 
figure out they're not like their AI is not planning massive numbers of moves in advance like it would be if it was chess or, or go or something like that you know what I mean right well it's also it's one of those things that um, you don't pay attention to until you see it done wrong like, right you know, it's like because you know, if you've got a large battle and every turn takes, you know, a certain amount of time, that adds up very right. quickly. <laughs> yep. Right. So that's good to hear, especially since, um, you know, it's more than one player. Right. No. Um, you can so you can play solo. And, you know, we, we we generally try to say, I think what we the way we normally say it is solo play is plausible but group play is preferred so we definitely want to design the game so that group play is kind of prioritized but playing solo is completely you know plausible um and that's why and i say that not just possible it's it's you can play solo just fine but we definitely design things to encourage grouping because you know i mean that's what makes them most special but then again people's schedules are such that we always want solo play to be completely viable and uh, how do you balance that? Well, the good thing, we have a lot of kind of design things that we do differently than a lot of MMOs. Like, for example, there's virtually no drops that bind to your character. So anything that you get, any kind of loot, um, can be sold or traded. So even if there's some you know, dungeon boss that's really difficult and you can only really beat it with a group, if you're a solo player, you can still buy that stuff from someone so it's not like oh well the only way to get this item is to farm this boss you know what i mean you know that's not true that does uh, that's good to hear um, right so before i continue on with my line of questioning i'll see if my, uh the people who actually play the mmos have any of their own questions okay sure um so like what kind of classes are available? Well, we wanted to, especially for balance purposes, we started off um, pretty basic. It's uh, warriors, healers, hunters, and elementalists. So there's only four core classes that are really kind of cover the a lot of the standard roles. Um, and then, you know, as we get the game fully launched and balanced, and we'll start rolling out more classes. And does it go like, I guess, what's considered the Holy Trinity system, where it's a tank role, a healer role, and a DPS role, or is it like anybody can kind of tank a boss or whatever? Um, I'd say it. we definitely um, make use of the Holy Trinity, um, but we make sure that every class has, you know, a secondary role as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so elementalists don't only do damage. They're also, they have a little bit of CC. Oh. Um, hunters do deep damage, but they also provide a lot of utility. Warriors primarily tank, but they also can do damage. And um, healers, they heal and buff and CC. They're the primary support utility class, but they wear chainmail, so they're actually pretty sturdy. So they can be like a backup tank um, if need be. So, so we definitely respect the Holy Trinity, but we make sure that every class has some um, you know, alternate options as well. But elementalists cannot tank, hunters cannot tank, so it's not everybody can do everything. 
And, like, how is hate handled? Do you have, like, a specific system for aggro, or is it just whoever hits it the hardest? We don't do, um, we don't have it, we don't do aggro that way at all. Like, mobs have, um, AI. They have, like, things they prioritize. They either, maybe certain classes they don't like, certain races they don't like, certain amounts of health remaining that makes them, that attracts them. Um, and then also position on the battlefield. So there's, there are, like, warriors do have some taunts, so there are ways that you can kind of override that. But for the most part, the, um, the, the equivalent of hate is really more based on manipulating the, figuring out the AI, like figuring out what they want to do. Like certain mobs, maybe they hate elementalists and certain mobs, maybe they have a lot of bloodlust. And so they really come for people that are under 50% health. And you figure out all these tendencies for these mobs and then you try to exploit them and make use of them on the battlefield and, you know, say there's someone who they really hate elementalists. Well, you might move your elementalists in a certain part to lure them into a certain area of the battlefield that's kind of obstructed, and then you can surround them and get damage bonuses. So um, it's really, instead of being hate-based, it's more AI-based and, and, and taking advantage of that. It's kind of interesting. Anybody else have any more questions? Okay, I'm good. <laughs> All right, I'll pick things up here. Um, can you choose your gender in this game, and does that have any effect on uh, gameplay? You can choose your gender, and it has absolutely no gameplay impact whatsoever. It doesn't affect any of your stats. It doesn't affect um, anything at all. It's purely cosmetic. Right. Now, there are um, humans right now are the only race that you can be male or female. So the other races, it's only male or female, so you have to kind of pick that way. Um, we do eventually plan to make female versions and male versions, depending on which race it is, except for the Dryad race, which will always be female only. Right, and um, how many races are in the game right now, and how many are planned? Um, there are five. There is a Human, Dryad, um, Trollic, which is like a big stone troll type race, um, Lukoi, which is like a wolf-like race, um, Catfolk, which is kind of obvious. Um, so those are the five right now. We have a bunch of others planned. There's one called Leklex. They're kind of like uh, gnomes. Um, we do have an elf-like race. They're called Tlai. And I think that's it for the kind of the short-term plan. So seven or eight. Interesting. It sounds like you're coming up with a bunch of your own terminology. Yeah, definitely. Like, we, um, I mean, it all fits in the lore of the world. Like, all of our games, actually, the lore has been built on through all of these games. So, um, it's the same game world from Threshold through all of our puzzle RPGs, you know, all the way through to Stash. Like, Threshold is 4,000 years earlier in the history of the world compared to stash and mm -hmm. the uh our puzzle rpgs like dungeon elements and rainmaker they're closer to the time of stash they're like you know one to 40 years before stash so the things that happened story-wise in those games built towards what you have now in stash so all of your games are taking place in the same universe yes hmm and um, 
how do you come up with all of the lore and how how do you keep um, everything consistent and all that stuff? Well, we all the writing and all the lore is done by myself or my wife. So by having just two people doing all that, that helps keep everything consistent. And, you know, we're always discussing how we want things to go in the world and the story and everything like that. But with that said, we implement a lot of stuff that, ha that players do. Like a, to a ton of the game's lore is things that players have done in our games. I mean, mostly in Threshold, you know, because obviously the puzzle RPGs being single player, you know, we didn't really interact directly with the players. Although there are a few things that happened. Um, players did things and they would send us screenshots and tell us stories of things they did. And there are a few things that we implemented like that as well. Um, but in our games always, we we like to involve our players and you know let their contributions to the game world have a permanent effect. Do you have a setting Bible written down or? No, we don't. We have a, we do have a wiki um, for the world. It, right now, it's at wiki.primordiax.com. The name of the, the the game world is called Primordiax. Um, like that's the name of the the game world that Stash and everything takes place in. So we do have a lot of lore there, and we're actually copying a lot of that over to our Stash wiki, so people can find it easier along with Stash game information. And that, okay. um, so yeah. So it's sort of like a setting bible, but it's a wiki. A little bit, yeah, absolutely. All right. And um, how how much of a connection is there between um, Stash and its predecessor? Um, not just in uh, Threshold, not just in terms of story, but like in mechanics and all that stuff. Uh, like, is there a lot of transference in uh, that regard? Um. Game mechanics, not so much, because Threshold's combat is real-time. It's, like, you know, kind of a standard mud, heartbeat-related combat where there's, like, a scroll of things happening constantly. Um, but there are abilities that are similar. You know, there are spells that have carried over from Threshold to Stash. There are magic items. There are locations in the game world, obviously, that have carried over, that have things that have survived the 4,000 years. Um, so there are things, there are some game mechanic things, but the games play, and of course, Threshold's text-based, so it's a command line interface, so gameplay-wise, there's very little similarity. There are just things from the game that have made their way into Stash. Hmm. And, um, have any of, like, the veteran, uh, Threshold players made their way to Stash yet? Yeah, quite a few. Um, although I do think a lot of them are waiting to see, you know, how things happen when we have our leave early access. Um, and then also there's always a certain amount of loyalty to your home game. So there are there are some that play both. There are some that have just switched, like they've, you know, they had their threshold time. And um, like we have players that were longtime threshold players that hadn't played in five to ten years. And when Stash came out, they started playing Stash. So it's brought some people in our community back. Um, which is pretty cool. And then there's some people that play both, but then there's, you know, some that are just, you know, fans of one or the other. Hmm. And what's been their feedback so far? I think most of them, they really like the fact that they can play another game um, and a graphical game that takes place in the universe that they, that they love and with the community that they really like. Cause we, the community 
is one of the most special things about frog dice, you know, having been around this long and um, people being, you know, a part of it for so many years and, you know, people meeting spouses through our game, having kids. So the, the community means a lot to people. So having a more modern game um, that keeps them as a part of the community is something they're excited about. It also makes them feel like there's more, a kind of more of a guarantee of longevity of the community, stuff like that. So, um, and then also, like I said, they just, they love the world and they like to be able to play another game in that world. Hmm. Neat. In fact, um, my wife just mentioned to me that another, another, we call them a threshold wedding just happened this past weekend. So, um, yeah, so that happens all the time. Hmm. And uh, let's see, uh, still so much to cover. Um, you made a, a bit of a deal about the housing. Um, you call it uh, half the game. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, exactly, what can you uh, what can you do with the housing? Um, and uh, does it affect gameplay, or is it uh, like something else? Well, you, first of all, all crafting happens in your house. So you have to get crafting machines, you know, forges, foundries, ovens, stuff like that. They all go in your house, either indoors or outdoors. So all crafting happens there. Your, your quote, bank, which is your stash, is in your house. And as you, upgrade your, as you upgrade your boo, part of upgrading that is upgrading your stash so it can hold more capacity. So that's obviously really important, a place to store all of your stuff. Um, it's also, um, you have a market stall out on the, in the outdoor land of your boo, and that's where you can put items up for sale on the market. Um, now our market is not an auction house and it is deliberately not an auction house. It is more like a market where you advertise certain items and people can browse an in-game newspaper to see ads. And that's how people find your market, your stall, and then they can click on it and browse everything that you have for sale. And if you find crafters or regular merchants who keep their st stall really well stocked you can favorite them and visit them later so it's more about building your reputation as a seller than it is just having the cheapest price on an auction house but um but that's another thing that's there in your boo um and then future features there'll be things where you can you know um, well and then obviously there's just decorating your house bringing home loot bringing home you know awesome cool things you find in dungeons and putting them in your house um to show off and then eventually there may even be functional things like magic items you put in your house that provide buffs and stuff like that hmm. and is there any sort of size limit on your house um yeah i mean it starts off as a as a bedroll like, and you've got nothing, you know, you just have a bedroll in the middle of the grass and then you can upgrade it to like a little, you know, a tent and then a little hut and then a cottage and then a house and then a mansion and then a castle. And, um, so it, it progresses massively, um, as you upgrade it. And then once you go inside, inside, depending on how far upgraded it is, you can have more rooms inside and you build those yourself. You, you, you know, when you go inside, it starts off just one little room and you can start branching off rooms off of that and build hallways and rooms and change the size. You know, they can be two by two, four by four, six by four, all kinds of stuff. Um, multiple stories, um, change the walls, change the floors, furnishings, both functional furnishings and cosmetic furnishings. So, I mean, you can tinker around in your boo forever. Hmm. 
And what sort of like um, what sort of customization can you do? Well, um, I mean, you got tons of different wall coverings, tons of different floors. I mean, I can't even hundreds and hundreds of furnishings. Like I said, some are functional and some are just cosmetic. You know, beds, tables, chairs. Um, I mean, lamp, lamps, all kinds of things, you know, and then functional things like, you know, food processors and um, alchemy tables and enchanting tables and disenchanting tables and, you know, armor deconstructors and all kinds of stuff. Um, I mean, there are just hundreds of things you can have inside and outside of your boo. Um, statues and um, cool stuff like that. You can invite people to come visit your boo and they can come and hang out and check out everything and, and chat. Um, another thing we do plan also is uh, mini games that you can buy and install in your house, so people can be in your in your house playing a mini game. So it's like you're playing a game in your house in your house. Hmm. And um, are there guild halls in the game? Not currently, but there will be, and they'll basically function a lot like the Boo, but they'll be on a guild level. Hmm. And indeed, how are guilds um, going to work in Stash? Or, or we call them, in- yeah, we, we have them. We call them clans, and um, they're a pretty big feature in the game. Also, I mean, there's all the kind of standard stuff where you, you know, you have a leader, and they invite people, and they can set um, up to. I think if we have eleven, you can have up to eleven different ranks. And there's all kinds of you know permissions, you know whether they can invite, whether they can set the message of the day. Um, eventually, when they have the guild halls, they'll be permissions for who can decorate, who can't, who can take things in and out of the guild storage, um, who can spend honor. Their clans earn honor through various tasks in the game, and then that honor is basically how clans rank against each other. And then they can spend that honor to do upgrades to their clan. Um, so, you know, some ranks can spend that honor, some ranks can't, stuff like that. And eventually, the bigger thing is um, clans will be able to take over outposts in different regions of the world, and those outposts can then get leveled up and become like hub towns um, throughout the world. And th- how well, however well they run those hub towns, will attract more players wanting to use that as their hub. Um, and then that hub, basically, by people using that hub, that adds to their clan's power as well. Hmm. And uh, let me see here. Uh, how many people can be in a clan? Uh, there's no, there's no maximum currently. Okay. Well, I imagine the maximum, at least, would be the number of people who can be on a server. Right. Which also currently have uh, no maximum. So we'll, we'll kind of see where that ends up. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, right. So how far along is the game uh, currently? Um, really far along. I mean, all the things I've talked about, there's only you know two or three things that i had to had to do the old we're planning this you know like the mini games in your house and the clan outpost um and the and the clan and the clan housing are really the only three things that aren't done everything else is is really done the game's extremely far along we've been working on it for about three years so um really now we're mostly you know few little features here and there getting added in but we're mostly just balancing and polishing and stuff like that and um i suppose the game is on track for a september release uh, we're looking at august 10th actually right now 
Okay. Wow, that's um, just around the corner, actually. Yep, absolutely. Like, and um, what is the pricing setup of the game? Is it um, free to play? Is it um, subscription based? Something else? Right now, right now it's basically, I guess, buy to play since you have to buy either the fifteen dollar or the fifty dollar package um, on Steam. But you get fifteen dollars or fifty dollars worth of in-game currency along with, uh, you know, other items. So you kind of get your quote unquote get your money back, you know, from in, with in-game money. Um, it will eventually be free to play. Um, we're actually planning for that. August 10th launch to be um, when we leave early access and potentially also go free to play at the same time. So, and then that $15 package is most likely going to increase in cost to 20. So it'll have $20 worth of currency um, and all the other items. So you'll still be able to get those packages through Steam, um, but you'll have other options also. And um, how necessary will um, buying these packages be? It won't be necessary to buy the packages, but um, we definitely don't consider what we normally like to call, honestly, is uh, free-to-play while we don't have any problems with that term. Um, we don't consider it a free game, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like... If your if your goal is to play find a game that you can play for free forever, like that's probably not going to work. I mean, there are there are definitely things that you're going to want to buy, um, and there's definitely things in the game. Now, there's nothing that limits you. Like it's not you don't hit like a paywall or you know what I mean. You don't you know there's nothing like that. Um, well, I, I suppose my central question is. Um, how grindy is this going to be if you don't um, put any money into it? Well, I will tell you that our game, whether you put money into it or not, is going to be grindy. We love we love a grind. Um, I, right. I love the grind. As long as it's fun, I love a grind. Um, uh, but most of the things you buy aren't about what you can't. There are XP boosts you can buy. You know what I mean? Like um, I'm going to pull up the shop right now. But the biggest one you can buy is a 50% XP boost. You know what I mean? Like so, it's mostly um, money for like customization items. And yeah, it's mostly customization, cosmetics, and convenience. The, those are the three. We call those like the three, the three C's of our of our free-to-play philosophy. But you can't um, buy like the ultimate sword of awesomeness that would like kill something in one hit or whatever. You actually can't buy any usable gear. You know what I mean? Um, like there's, it's I, I never want to say there will never be anything you can buy because you know, who knows? I, you, you never want to trap yourself. Yeah. Um, but there is currently not a single item on the medallion shop that is a like functional as far as combat. Like there's no armor, there's no weapons, um, not even one. There are lots of cost cosmetic items. There are mounts that help you get around the game faster. There is, you know, expanding your storage. I mean, when I say, when I say that you're going to definitely want to buy things like you're going to want, extra bag slots although most of the a lot of these you can buy with either in-game coin or medallions um but obviously it's faster to buy those with medallions um but um there is you you can have up to nine bag slots on your character the ninth one you can only buy with medallions so now you don't need that one but if you want to maximize how much stuff your character can carry you know well that's nine bag slots um and right now 
the biggest bag is a medallion only. So there are a few things that are medallion only, um, but most, the vast majority of things, I'd say 90% of the things on the medallion shop, you can buy with triads, that's in-game coin, as well as medallions. And the things that are on there are, you know, like I said, cosmetics, convenience, customization. That's certainly a lot. And, you know, my, like my main concern about the grind is, yeah, it becomes unfun because, well, I, I played mobile games and, you know, like the grind there is to, uh, is to get as tedious as possible or it just takes too long to get anywhere. So you're you're kind of forced to buy stuff. Right. Like none of our I mean, like the only thing that we even have that's even slightly boosty. We have a 25% XP boost and a 50% XP boost. They both last for two hours. You know what I mean? Um, there will probably be like a crafting XP booster as well um, that'll be similar. But that's not really a tremendous amount of XP boost. Um, and you're going to, I mean, you're going to spend a lot of time earning XP, especially once you get 20 plus. Because we're, we're definitely not a race to the end game game. You know, like you're, you're, you're supposed to, especially once you get 20 plus, because the game goes to, like, level 100, and then after that you have hegemon levels, which are infinite. Um, so level 100 is not in-game. There is really there is no in-game. I mean, you're, it's designed for you to kind of savor every level. You know, after level 20, it's going to take you, you know, depending how much you grind, you know, days or weeks to gain a level. Um, it's not going to be fast. So, so every how, single... how, how do the inventory slots work that are limited then? You have... Um, you start the game off with uh, a 24 slot backpack and so you have 24 slots for items it's you know it's it's slot based like that um every item takes one slot and then you can have up to nine bag slots um and then eight of those you can unlock with triads or medallions the ninth one you can only unlock with medallions and then you can fill them with different bags you know you could get little they, they always come when you unlock a bag slot it comes with a six slot bag. So you always get at least six new inventory slots, but then, you know, you can go on the, sh the, the medallion shop. And when I call it the medallion shop, like I said, the majority of things on the medallion shop, you can buy with triads or medallions. It's just, you know, one convenient location for everything. Right. Um, you know, and then you can buy, you know, all the way up to a 24 slot bag there. So you could have nine 24 slot bags in your inventory um, now, like I said, the 24 slot one is medallions only, but you could buy a 22 slot one with triads. So the medallion only one is only two slots bigger than the, um, than the coin only. Okay. So, I gotcha. Yeah. You know I mean, so you could have nine, if you were just, you know, completely broke and couldn't buy anything and wanted to just completely play the game, you could, you know, unlock your eight slots, 22 mm -hmm. bags, 22 slot bags, and you'd have, you know, what is that? A hundred and two hundred and four slots, I think. If I did my math right there, um, uh, something like that. Yeah. The yeah, reason I ask about that is because I was wondering how much influence uh, inventory slots would have on how easy, how easy or hard it is to to uh, to grind, like based on how much stuff you can carry around at once. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an advantage um, because if you can carry more stuff, then, you know, you don't have to you don't have to go back to town as often. Um, another one of our future features, though, is uh, pack animals that you can have that you can use instead of a mount. 
and you can load up your pack animal and send it back to your boo. Now it may, it might have, depending how far away you are, it might have a 10 or 20 minute or 30 minute return time, but you can load it up with loot, send it back. It'll dump everything in your stash, um, come back to you after a while. So you'll have that as an option also. Now you also right. get every hour you can use your hearth ability, which takes you back to the main city. So theoretically, as long as you have enough bag, bag space to grind for an hour, you can always get back to town, you know, immediately and dump up all your stuff. Um, but, but I mean, it is, a it is an, an RPG and inventory management is important. Deciding what items you're going to keep and what items you're going to not, you know, what items you're going to leave behind. That's definitely part of the learning process and deciding, Hey, I want to bring this item back. This, this, these, this loot is good. This loot is not good. That kind of stuff. Okay. You will, yeah. you will make decisions. And even if you have, you know, nine slots and the biggest bag, you're still going to have to make decisions. So. Right. It seems like you've definitely keyed this to Vivalu, like playing MMOs and that and uh, like muds and stuff in a certain kind of way. Right. Which I hope works out for you. Yeah, I think so. I hope so too. Thank you. Right. And um, so, what's um, post um, launch support going to look like? Well, we. I mean, it's we have no other project. Um, on the horizon. So once we launch, we're still going to be working on this game, you know, 100% full time. Um, we expect that when more people are playing, things will, we, we we expect and plan for things to happen. You know, bugs, hopefully not too catastrophic. So there'll probably be things we have to fix, exploits people will find, balance issues people will find. So upon you know immediate launch, we'll probably be working on that for a bit, but. I mean, we have content planned out for years, so it's there will never be a shortage of, of new features that we want to get in the game. Um, and then very soon, we really hope to be able to turn some of our attention towards story and world events and stuff like that, because that's always been a really big part of our games, like Threshold, is, you know, big story events that move the, the world lore forward. Um, so we definitely want that to be part of Stash also. Hmm. All right, I think that'll about do it for my line of questioning. Um, anything else from uh, you guys? I think I'm good. I didn't really wait with most of my questions. <laughs> so unl unless we have time to go into more like actual questions about the world of the game, because now I, I am somewhat curious since you've been going into that. But if we start on that, we could go for, it sounds like you could go for a long time. So maybe it'd be best to save that for next time. Right. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> I could. I could talk about that forever. Well, unfortunately, we do not have that um, time. It is about ten o'clock, and we have to move on to the next segment. But um, Michael, I'd like to thank you very much for um, being with us uh, this week. Um, Thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I. I guess the last thing I should mention, just because I would be remiss if I didn't, is that um, you know the game's website is stashrpg.com, and mm -hmm. you can already get the game on Steam right now. Um, and you know, the sooner you get in, the bigger impact you can have. Well, we list we we also have a Discord, and I mean, I'm there. I check it so religiously. I mean. If I wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, I usually check it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a lot of communication with the developers, especially people that get involved now. Um, so it's definitely a good time to, to get involved with the community. 
when you know you're gonna have a huge impact on you know making it be the kind of game you want it to be. Indeed. And um, will this game only be on Steam? And also, is it um, Windows only, or is it um, for Mac and Linux as well? It's Windows, Mac, and Linux, and we really, really hugely want to get it on mobile because we actually think it would work really well, especially on tablets, um, which is another cool thing about it being turn-based, and you know, you don't have as heavy of you know, performance requirements as you have, you know, like in a third-person game, or the fact that it's so twitchy that you could trying to play that on mobile would be impossible. Um, we really do want to get it on tablets eventually, um, which would be cool. Um, but yeah, for now, it's PC, Mac, and Linux, just through Steam. Um, mainly just because that's a really easy way to maintain patches and updates. Um, Unity has done some cool things that we may be upgrading to in the future, which would allow us to easily patch on our own. And if we do that, we might make a client available through our own website. But for the near future, it's going to be um, through Steam only, but PC, Mac, and Linux. Okay. All right. Um, once again, thank you for stopping by. The game is Stash. It's available um, right now for $15 or $50, depending on which package you want to purchase. And um, it should be noted, um, if you don't, uh, if you get it after launch, the $15 tier is going up to $20. That's right. That's right. Um, I suppose my last question here is, will there be any other tiers after launch? You know, it's been heavily suggested to us that we should have a $100 tier as well. And so we are strongly considering that. Um, but if we do, we'll most likely have a way that people can upgrade. Like we have one now, like people can upgrade from the citizen tier to the founder tier. So it's not like jumping in now would mean you missed out. So if we do add that tier, we'll have a way for people to upgrade to it if they want. All right. Um, Petty fan, uh, play us to the next segment. Um, Petty Fan, do you need any time to get the um, game onto screen? Nope. All right. So um, after um, we had this topic planned out um, last season, late last season, it got delayed for a couple of reasons. Um, other topics came up. And then um, last time we were planning on doing this, the show exploded. Or rather, <laughs> Petty Fan's connection exploded and kind of everything collapsed around that uh, but you know um here we are you know and we're going to talk about bubsy you know and i'm sure the question uh, the question might be why are we talking about bubsy um in case certainly you it, certainly yeah. we've all tried to forget it yeah uh, <laughs> um well it's like i think we uh, I'm like, in terms of forgettability, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but I mean, the main reason is about a month ago, uh, I'm not sure how much time has passed, but um, the point the point is, um, Bubsy got a new game announcement. I'm like, and yeah, nobody was expecting this, mainly because nobody was really 
wanting a Bubsy remake or a Bubsy sequel or Bubsy anything. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the mascot that everyone wants to talk about um, in terms of, like, YouTube videos is um, Crash Bandicoot. Lord knows I've seen uh, uh, the uh, an insane amount of, um, well, Crash Bandicoot remake uh, videos lately. Well, that's because oh, they're well. apparently really good remakes. Well, yeah, they're really good remakes, and it's also Crash Bandicoot was a genuinely beloved character. Yeah, like, like when they killed him off in, you know, in the late 2000s, a lot of people were fucking heartbroken. Sort of, but, you know, by that point, he was kind of limping along in the um, radical entertainment era, which yeah. is not very well liked for its art style. Um, oh, but what the hell was it, were they thinking with Mind Over Mutants? Um, that's a topic for another day. I know we've covered, like, Crash and, you know, the early Crash games on this program previously, but... We haven't... We Bubsy, did talk about the decline, but yeah. Yeah. You know, but Bubsy, you know, this is a topic I wasn't really expecting to broach because, you know, I like the rest of the... Violent for silent for, what, 20 years? Yeah, it's like I, like the rest of the world, assumed that Bubsy was a long, long deceased relic of the 90s. Um, but perhaps that's uh, part of the problem here. If it, if it is indeed a problem, because, you know, it's been about 20 years since the last installment uh, of the game. So... It's like the nostalgia filters would be kicking in if there was any nostalgia for Bubsy. Well, and I think now, part of it is a lot of the YouTube videos of fairly recent. Well, yeah, well, this is kind of what I'm getting at here. Bubsy um, is a remembered character. I'm like, there's certainly a lot of proof to that, but uh, I'm like, Bubsy's kind of become, you know, a symbol, maybe the symbol of all that was wrong with 90s gaming. Not even joking about that. I'm like, I challenge you to find a positive video on Bubsy the Bobcat. Now, I have literally never seen a positive word said about this game franchise. It's you know, basically they came up with a with an idea for it's one of, no, they didn't even come with an idea for. They came up with a desire for an attitude mascot like Sonic, cobbled one together, then half-assedly remembered that they had a gate that they had to have a game to put it in, and then half-assed that. So at the end, you, at the end, the game is like something like a sixteenth of an ass. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> actually, it's an unholy fusion. It, and then more- oh, and then, and then the second game had Nerf sponsorship because sure, why not? Well, I, I, getting back to the first game, which is the only one I actually played back in the day, because um, part of the reason why Bubsy's probably so remembered is Accolade pushed the shit out of him. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, he may not have been beloved by anyone but its publisher, and, you know, they tried to make him a thing. They tried to like, make him the face of Apogee. Um, Accolade. Accolade, yeah, like, that's... Yeah, Apogee is a uh, completely different publisher. Yeah, I I misspoke. My bad. Yeah, I'm like, uh, now, yeah, and he was yet another, you know, Sonic ripoff. I'm like, um, in the, uh, you know, 
in the usual um, vein. Like, maybe he didn't have as much um, visual attitude as Sonic, but that was made up by verbal attitude. What could possibly which he had, be wrong? Which, yeah, which he had yeah. way before Sonic had. Yeah, because I think that's one of the things that allowed Sonic to become in legitimately endearing to people. He didn't fucking talk yeah. until, like, Sonic Adventure. Like, yeah, he talked At in the cartoons, he was already but those were yeah. already well-defined as something separate from the games. Yeah, it's like, you know, Jaleel White wasn't the voice of, of um, you know, 16-bit Sonic or anything like that, thank God. You know, but I'm like, Bubsy um, actually had the same voice actor, like, throughout. Um... Fairly notable one, Rob Paulson. He, um, like, the voice of Yakko, a whole bunch of roles here. And this is one of the few that he does not look back with kindness. Now, I can't say if he outright hated playing Bubsy, but he didn't enjoy it. You know, it's the, the only other role that I can think of that he's actively bashed was Coconut Fred. The less wow. said about Coconut Fred, the better. Right. And, you know, it's important to note, uh, because Bubsy, well, like a lot of mascots, you know, the games was just the beginning. Like, you know, the, the, the end game plan here was to have a, you know, a multi-tiered merchandising empire like Sonic, like Mario, Pac-Man, Mega Man, so on and so forth. Something, you know, that would, something that would let them spend, sell, like, $30 ex, red exclamation point t-shirts. Yeah, I'm like, you know, the plushies, the merchandise. It, uh, you know, it got as far as a um, television pilot. I'm like, mm -hmm. which is pretty goddamn awful. Oh, yeah. Spoiler, oh, that's up on YouTube, by the way. I would not recommend yeah. Yeah, it's like, um, from what I understand, it was included in, like, the PC version of Bubsy. Uh, Bubsy one, like, or uh, I think that was called like Super Bubsy or something like that. Like, um, the point is, um, yeah, it was a bonus feature for those lucky enough to have bought the PC version. I'm sure they were cheering furiously for that. <laughs> <laughs> and many a floppy disk was snapped in anger. Yeah, I'm like. And I should note that the speech is probably the re uh, reason why Bubsy is among the worst of the 90s mascots. Because he had a very attitude -y voice and very many catchphrases, and all of them were annoying when they got yelled at you every five minutes in gameplay. It's yeah, one of those, it, think of Gex, but far, far worse. Yeah, it, it's like, you know, unfunny and repetitious. Yeah, Gex is at least Gex is at least mostly like snarky and deadpan, as opposed to being enthusiastically sarcastic and just sort of generally a pain in the butt. Obnoxious. Like, yeah. In, like in terms of uh, pure terrible mascots, the only one that um, really supplants that is um, uh, Awesome Possum. You know, another mascot that gets made fun of um, re with regularity. Because not only uh, you know, you know the derivative design, the shitty game, um, the uh, awesome awesome had a very very forced environmental message. Another showcase of the early '90s. 
Um, but I'll say Bubsy is worse. I'll say Bubsy is the worst mascot because he actually got um, about four games. That is four more than he ever should have gotten. And uh, at least one more than I knew about. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you know, like I said, um, Bubsy was certainly pushed back in the day. Um, you you probably, you, like, I think if there was a Bubsy game that people have actually played, it's um, the first one. And so, it, you know, I can tell you directly what went wrong with, with this particular game. Um, well, the core problem is they tried to fuse Mario's gameplay with Sonic's gameplay. I'm like, that's just a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Confirm. Oh, and they, oh God. Oh God. Yep. Oh, and um, they also ratcheted the, uh, like, not so much the difficulty rate, but the fake difficulty rate, because um, Bubsy the Bobcat is a very fragile um, individual. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. They put fall damage in this game. I don't Which think is a thing that should not be in platformers that focus on jumping. No, it's like <laughs> a platformer with fall damage. I, I, I'm like, are you insane? Of yes. course, like, you know, um, you know, the enemies all kill you in one shot. Uh, certain objects that you might not figure out will kill you in one shot. Oh, they're convertibles that you can't even jump on or they kill you. Right. Uh, the level design is all over the place. Like, um, you can enter um, passages that'll send you back to the beginning of the level. You know, and so on and so forth. And unlike it's... Mario and Sonic, there aren't power-ups to give you one hit. There's an invincibility power-up. But right. you don't get, like, mushrooms or rings. See, they give you nine lives, not just because it's a cat pun, but it's because... Any um, less, and you'd never make it anywhere. Yeah, it, it's one of those. We knew we made the game really hard, so our solution is to give you a shit ton of lives. So our now, solution is a pun. Yeah, aka the bad solution. Right. Um, so yeah, Bubs, you know, Bubsy won. Um, terrible game, terrible everything, but quite clearly sold quite a bit because. Um, not like not only did we get an animated pilot, that pilot actually feeds into Bubsy Two, because that's where Bubsy's fucking nephew, um, nephew and niece. Oh God! Um, you had to bring those up. Yeah, thing one and thing two. Oh God! Be be because one an obnoxious cartoon bobcat wasn't enough. Like. <laughs> <laughs> There's a special uh, place in hell for the fucker who designed them. Yeah, I'm like... Now, admittedly, I've... I steer clear of Bubsy, too. <laughs> like the fucking plague. Literally, like, I've said... I've mentioned it a couple times in our discussions about it and once on this show already. But literally, the only thing I remember about this game is from seeing it in Nintendo Power that uh, one of the power-ups that you get in the game, or one of the things you get in the game, is a legit Nerf Ball Zooka. Brandon. Right. Uh, yep. From, from <laughs> what I've seen, I'm like, the game is marginally... Like, apparently it's marginally better. Like... 
but um, yeah, like it's definitely gotten better, but um, not too much so. Uh, you know, I guess forgive me for my fragmented take on Bubsy Two, but after Bubsy One, I I didn't want to play this um, anymore, like ever. Now, the secret hidden Bubsy game is Bubsy and Fractured Furry Tales. Um, it's a game that was handled by a completely, not just like a different team, a different developer, um, published by Atari. Uh, for some reason, they grabbed the Bubsy license and they commissioned an exclusive Bubsy game, uh, I think based off of uh, like the Bubsy 1 design. Ugh. Yeah, I'm like, what is this on? The, uh, the Atari Jaguar. Ah, that yeah, explains why no one's ever seen it. I guess yeah. that's mm -hmm. the best place for Bubsy, seeing as to cat puns. But uh, I, I'm like, I guess, I guess he, I guess he could have been on the Lynx. That's closer to a Bobcat. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> um, apparently this game is even worse than the first one. I'm like, I can't speak to that because you know, Atari Jaguar. How many people have even played an Atari Jaguar game? Not that many. No. But, you know, I'm seeing, like, you know, it's got even worse things like collision detection. Oh, God, that's another thing I didn't mention about the first game. Like, the collision detection was fucking terrible. You know, the controls weren't responsive. And ter ter terrible collision detection meshes just perfectly with one-hit kills. Or fall damage, where you can be clipped outside of the fucking platform and fall to your death. Uh -huh. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, and the, you know, the game basically looked well like a, um, you know, 16-bit platform game. Um, there are better uh, platform games to buy, even on the Atari Jaguar. Uh, I would recommend the original Rayman game. Uh, I'm like, yeah, uh, Rayman actually. Uh, if you missed our Rayman re retrospective, Rayman actually. Um, got birthed on the Atari Jaguar because of, you know, power and the timing and all that stuff. But, uh, so, Bubsy on the Atari Jaguar didn't really set the world on fire or, you know, have any impact whatsoever. You know, the, the world, um, like most things Atari Jaguar, just kind of ignored it and went away. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, you know, failure, but kind of irrelevant. The game that really killed Bubsy um, until a few months ago was Bubsy 3D. There were many atrocities <laughs> committed in that game. It somehow managed to be at least as bad of a 3D platformer as the first game managed to be bad a one as a 2D platformer. platformer. Yeah. platformer. Yeah, it would have like... been better as a 1D platformer. Yeah, but, but, yeah, Bubsy 3D is actually considered to be like one of the worst games ever made. And if you've ever seen video footage of the game, I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, first of all. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I should note by this point, uh, also by this point, Rob Paulson wasn't the the voice anymore. Uh, Lana, uh, Lanny Manella was Bubsy at this point. And, you know, 
once again, if you watch video footage, Bubsy's voice is noticeably different. Mm -hmm. That's another comedian, though, right? Um, I'd have to look at. I, I could be wrong. It sound I, it rings a bell, but I could be wrong. Um, she's a re regular voice a actress. Ah, uh, okay. She's got a ton of like a ton of roles and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, apparently, best known as the voice of Nancy Drew in the Nancy Drew computer games. Uh. Yeah. But I'm like, Bubsy 3D, to put it simply, is just barely a game. Like, it, it, it's got some of the most rudimentary graphics, controls. Like, it, it's got tank controls in a platform game. And they don't make the jumps easy to accommodate for that or the, you know, terrible, terrible hit detection. Right. Uh, uh, uh. Ah. And suddenly, Bumsy 2 becomes a spaceship shooter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, becoming a spaceship shooter is not something to hold against a platformer. There are many platformers that have done that, and it has been fine. You know, I just like... got hit from somewhere I can't see. No, th there's nothing fine here. No, that's because it's Bubsy, though. It's not because it became a spaceship shooter. <laughs> you know, was it better before? Okay. <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, you know, Bubsy 3D, uh, you know, pretty much killed the Bobcats. Uh, you, know, you know, we thought for good because it was just that awful. Now, uh, I suppose I should mention that uh, the developer of the game, Idectic, actually would go on to much uh, bigger and better things. Um, today, we know them as Sony Ben. Um, they're the creators of, like, the Siphon Filter series, among others. No. Um, they're working on that uh, big-time zombie game, uh, Days Gone, right now. So... You know, clearly they cleared. You know, they cleared the hurdle of Bubsy. Accolade, uh, not so much. As a few years later, they would get. They got purchased by the ever-expanding Infogrames, and you know, Bubsy just kind of laid uh, dormant on a shelf until one auction later, um, developer like um, publisher Tomo resurrected Accolade, and um, we're getting a new Bubsy game. Uh, called the Woolly Strike Back. So here's the thing about um, the Woolly Strike Back. Uh, by the way, the Woolies are the primary antagonist of the series. Which I, is well I, known to anyone who played Bubsy, so no yeah. one. The, you know, they're the primary enemy in the first one in Bubsy 3D, and um, I guess this one. So, I suppose the most inexplicable thing here is this might this game might actually be good. It's because well, um, the developer uh, Black Forest Games has actually done some good games, and this isn't even the most inexplicable um, revival they've been involved with. Uh, that goes to Gianna Sisters. Um, don't really have the time to go into the Gianna sisters here. That's got its own interesting history. But 
that was another thing that we weren't expecting to be revived. They also so, did. So, uh, so there is because it's a decent developer. There's actually a chance that this might just be a weird, yeah, choice rather than actually any kind of bad game as such. We'll see, but I'm uh, I'm just going uh, in terms of developer pedigree. You know, um, the Gianna sister uh, platform game I played was um, decent. It it had problems, but. Uh, it, you know, it was surprisingly good. So, you know, as uh, you know, what happens with this upcoming one, um, we shall see. But yeah, even if the gameplay is good, it's not really engendering me to um, liking Bubsy as a character. Yeah, I mean, he's still an unlikable little shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless they somehow rewrite his character, at which point is it really even a Bubsy game anymore? Like, given from what I've seen, he, you know, he's going to continue being Bubsy. And that's not really a thing anybody should want. Like... <laughs> so, right, that'll about do it for this topic. And, you know, I'm glad that we're finally done with it. You know, I mean, it basically took 30 minutes to say Bubsy sucked, his game sucked, um, everything about him sucked, um, his new game might not suck, but him as a character will suck. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it'll be almost weird if there's an actual, I mean, because there's a better reason to not play any of the old games other than the fact that Bubsy is obnoxious, it's, the games are terrible. But here's the uh, thing. If it's, it'll be if it'll it's be not, weird if there's a decent game. Yeah, if it's <laughs> decent though, will they try and revive the franchise? Well, they're already trying to do that. I mean, I mean, like make more games other than this one. Guys, guys, the question here is, what could possibly go wrong? Oh goddamn it, Ogre! <laughs> uh, you knew it was coming at some point. For those who have for those who have successfully managed to avoid Bubsy, that's one of his obnoxious catchphrases. That's like his, uh, his uh, <laughs> premier signature catchphrase. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's so easy to retort. What could possibly go wrong? Your Everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like every goddamn thing. Right, so that will about do it for this topic. Um, right. Um, so coming up next week on Fragments of Silicon, it's actually up in the air. Um, our regularly scheduled guest for next week uh, had to cancel um, due to travel conflicts. And uh, they told us that um, he wouldn't be available again until next year because of production. You know, they're going into heavy production after August. So um, we're currently looking for a replacement. Um, um, no guarantees on that front right now. Like, somebody's getting back to me tomorrow. I'm like, if we have a guest to announce, we'll announce it on the Sunday reviews. Like, um, also, we have no Tuesday show this upcoming week. Like, so, uh, yeah. At worst comes to worst, we're, we're going to have a double topic um, week. We'll be figuring that out on Sunday. Like, in case, you know, like, 
I can't find somebody in time. Outside of that, um, we do have the regular Sunday reviews. Um, I think I mentioned uh, in the news segment that um, uh, the first game we're reviewing is Toby the Secret Mine. Um, one of the many games published by uh, Head Up Games. From what I've been able to research, uh, it started out as an iOS game, and believe me, it shows in the design. Um, you know, we're reviewing the PC version, even though that came out a few years ago. Um, they recently ported this game to the PlayStation 4. I, uh, and the other game we are reviewing um, is a bit... Well, is very, very outside um, anything we have ever tackled before. Um, it's Pro Cycling Manager 2017 Edition. I, I've spent... That few... sounds like a game that exists. I'm like, <clears throat> it certainly does exist. Um, I, I suppose I should, I, I can preface the review like this. There are two kinds of simulators in the world. There are the real simulators. Uh, I know that's odd to say, but bear with me. But there's also the parody simulators. You know, there's the surgeon simulators. There's the um, simulator. simulators. And, and so on and so forth. You know, th those um, those simulators that are just, you know, kind of a, kind of a gag. Mm -hmm. Pro Cycling Manager... No, this is definitely a real simulator. I'm I was like, going to say, if it's a parody, it might actually be interesting. I'm like, this game is definitely interesting if you're in a certain mindset. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but that mindset has to be you want to manage a cycling team. I'm like, more on this on Sunday. How much of this game I'm actually going to play is kind of uh, uh, unsure because, honestly, I find the whole package to be intimidating. Because I'm like, there's so much I don't know about cycling. Like, but is this one of those simulators that has like $10,000 of DLC? No, actually. I'm like, it's the full package, um, like right out the gate. It's just okay. It's that's cool. good. Yeah, it's just you know, it's a real, it's a realistic simulator kind of game. Yeah, you know, like you are keeping track of finances, you are keeping track of people, you are keeping track of injuries, you are keeping track of lot of things you know um and what you're keeping track of depends on the mode more on that on sunday um penny fan i believe you got a code of this as well so um you'll be able to show gameplay i mean yep all right um so yeah uh, no problem uh, michael we'll have you on that again um, Thanks, you guys. Have a good night. Yes. Right. Um, so I think that I'll do it for the broadcast. Um, so until next time, I wish you good gaming.
Alrighty, I put us in post show. I don't know if we want to do anything or if we just want to break here. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.